Welcome to Arena Athletes, your home for MTG Arena Strategy. Step inside the digital arena with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Brought to you by Face to Face Games. You're listening to Arena Athletes number 114, Marathon Man. My name is David Seville. I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. However, before we start, we have a bit of an announcement to make. Given that we're 99% focused on MTG Arena and that Arena seems to be the, the way of the future for digital magic, we've decided to do a little bit of rebranding here. From now forward, the podcast formerly known as The Men From Moto will be known as Arena Athletes. It's a change in both name and spirit, but really nothing else. We'll bring you the same content we always do, just with a 100% focus on Arena instead of the 1% on Magic Online. Hopefully the rebranding will help us attract players that have never heard of Moto, and unfortunately the joke has to die, but it was a, it was a well-lived joke while it lasted. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be changing our brand on Twitter, Patreon, all those things, but in the meantime, enjoy the first podcast of Arena Athletes. Travis, how are you this week? Well, first off, let me say, for those about to die, we salute you. <sighs> I'm not. I'm gonna get tired of these real quick. I think. I mean, if we're gonna be arena athletes, we gotta have some gladiator references, man. Are you not entertained? Uh, no. Uh, yes, but no. At least give the people some time to settle into this before we bombard them with Russell Crowe references. Yeah, fair enough. I'm doing good, Dave. Um, I was sick last week. I have healed completely. Had a nice vacation. I got to spend a lot of time with my wife, and we went on a little road trip. I uh, took the cat to the vet. He is in good shape and back in healing. So all all is well in Travis Land. Outstanding. How about your magic, though? Uh, you've got a bit of a <laughs> bit of a change of pace this week. It seems like with the uh, the Mythic Championship qualifier going on this weekend. What do you got going on? Yeah, so I'd, I'd been having a lot of fun drafting War of the Spark and am looking forward to getting back to that next week. Uh, but I kind of qualified for this Mythic Championship qualifier weekend. Uh, and what I have before me is basically considerably harder than day twoing a standard GP. Um, but essentially what you have to do is log on and enter this tournament uh, between 9 and 10 a.m. and then get a record of eight wins. You have one loss to give. If you do, you qualify for day two, and I'll worry about day two when we get there. None of that's listed there. We talked some about how they might organize this in the client, and it looks like day one is done entirely in the client, and day two may be done separately, maybe something like uh, Smash GG, which we use for the Phantom Legends events. Right. Yeah, and it looks like 128 people will get through to day two, so... We're not quite sure how many people qualified for this or how many people will even be playing, but it's pretty pretty reasonable to assume that obviously all the 8 and O's and 8 and 1's should make it through with some number of 7 and 2's where you get your last loss on the last round because you only have two losses to give should also make it through. So really you're looking at I mean, what do you get for for day 2 in a GP like 6 and 3 for constructed GPs I think make you to to day 2. You mm-hmm. have to do significantly better than that. It is going to be very difficult to rattle off 8 wins in a row or go 8 and 1 on the day. Um especially on arena. There's a lot of very good players out there. Yeah, and essentially there may be some people listening to this that are like how do you get into this tournament? This particular one uh you qualified in either March or April by being the top 1000 mythic ranked players in either constructed or limited. So for me, I hit Mythic in uh, Limited in March and then in Constructed and Limited for April. Or maybe I have that backwards. I don't remember. But I, I, I hit Mythic three times. But that qualified me for this. There will now be one, it looks like, uh, happening every three to four months. Uh, so like you've got three months to qualify for this next one that's coming up too. So like if you want to get involved in this with the next one, go ahead and start grinding Mythic uh, when the next season releases, which would be like at the beginning of June. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's obviously not a lot of incentive for, for people to grind here, but for the people that did, you know, one of these people is going to spike uh, an invitation, right? Like there's only the one slot. 
No, this goes the... 16. 16 oh. people will be invited from this. Okay, so that's not too bad. But still, like, there's a there's a ton of equity if you can get to day two out of this one. So you kind of got to go through those landmines in day one. You got to catch lightning in a bottle, you know, go on a huge heater. And then once you get to day two, if you can play, you know, your best magic and, you know, win five or six rounds, you can probably make the top 16 um, and then, you know, sail on into... This. Now, are these for the Mythic Championship on arena do we know or are these for like the pro tour like the the paper mythic championships what's where you end up if you make the top 16 of this thing this is for the arena mythic championship um so prizing is the the top 16 obviously get a great deal and they're looking to go to that um everybody that participates gets an event exclusive card sleeve which is pretty cool um you get 200 gems for every win you earn in day one um so like that's that that seems pretty good to me too like as far as a free event goes like get some wins get some gems you know get a cool card sleeve that's nice but what we're gunning for is we want to we want to win this thing yeah i mean getting a free draft for going (laughs) for going six two doesn't really seem all that great compared to the people that are gonna get like you know ten thousand dollars in equity or whatever it turns out to be when you get to the to the mythic championship on arena because that's the one that's filled with the mpl players right yes and then the the people that qualify here, and then there's they added some discretional slots. But if I remember correctly, like the minimum pricing for that thing is actually still quite high. So like you're looking at a lot of dollars if you can get through to to you know to the top sixteen of day two. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, not to mention some street cred for the podcast, yo. So I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what I can do. I mean, one of us has to carry the load on that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's basically what I've been doing this week is trying out different standard decks, um, playing through them, looking at a lot of decks. I've actually been reading some articles about standard, uh, which I typically don't do. And I, I feel like I've got a, a pretty good handle on what decks are out there and what sort of decks I I can pick up and play. Because th- there's certainly some out there that are good, but I don't think I can learn all the interactions in a week. Um, ideally I probably needed about two weeks to prep for this, but I I think I found something that I'm happy with that I can bring on Saturday and, and, and be competitive with. Yeah. So when you're, when you're going through it today, like obviously you haven't played standard in a while. I've dabbled a bit in standard as we, you know, the last couple of months have gone by, but like there is a huge variety index that you see in the ladder and i don't know where you're at in the ladder you're probably like the gold platinum level because you haven't been playing very much but it just seems that like on arena there's you know dozens and dozens of seemingly viable decks but what are the decks that you're seeing the most you know this week so most of what i bumped into was mono red aggro uh martin yuza has a terrific deck list for that uh, he wrote an awesome article explaining the matchups, which cards matter, and the sideboard choices. You can find that on Channel Fireball, and I've seen a lot of people playing that list. Uh, I've seen a lot of Jeskai Super Friends. Uh, I've seen a a lot of like a Bant mid-range kind of deck uh, that's looking to like leverage Crisis and that sort of thing. Um, I, I bumped into a couple of the... Uh, what's the big graveyard card? Command the Dreadhorde. Command the Dreadhorde. I bumped into a couple Command the Dreadhorde decks. Uh, the decks that I've been trying to play have been very aggressive and were actually pretty good against those. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, I, I haven't seen any mono-white aggro, um, although I know that it's out there, or like Azorius aggro, if you want to call it that. And then there's various Esper decks uh, that are either looking to be control um, although most of them sen- seem to have shifted to like controlling via thought erasure and then trying to get you with a thief of sanity rather than actual like counter spells and hard control. Uh, so it still seems like there's a lot of stuff out there and there's still like gruel warriors running around even a couple Nexus stacks. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly diverse. And um, we've talked about MTG arena pro a bit on the podcast before, and they recently released uh, their kind of their meta uh, snapshot or their meta picture. And uh, it's at MTG Arena dot, or sorry, MTG Arena dot pro slash meta. And what it is, is they've uh, trained their kind of deck data collection tool uh, that people are using to track their collection and submit their wins to to this site. They've actually started categorizing all of these decks into different meta decks and then tracking the statistics of the specific meta deck, even though there's variation between different versions of it. Um, and you can see kind of the win-loss ratio for the decks. You can see how many people are playing it out of the people that are submitting data. And, you know, it looks like 
there's probably close to like 10,000 people that are submitting decks, which doesn't seem like a lot, but you know, in a, in a statistical term, you know, a sample size of 10,000 is huge. And, you know, I'm looking at the meta list right now and it's only been running for like a couple of days collecting data. And there's easily like 15 to 20 decks in here combined. Now that's combined between all ladder. But if you look at the, the best of three ladder, there's 10 decks that stand out here. And then there's also a bunch of decks that are uncategorized yet. So decks that haven't found kind of a metagame home. And there's no real standout here of, of a deck that's just kind of strictly heads and tails above the rest, um, which, which is really interesting to me. I know you haven't seen a lot of White Weenie, but according to this, the White Weenie seems to be the strongest deck. Now, this is strictly for ladder play. Mm -hmm. um, and, and going into Spike day one of a GP, you know, taking a deck that's 54% on the ladder might not cut it for you, right? You're like, you're looking for either a solid, consistent deck that you are good with and that you understand how to sideboard with, or you're looking at bringing a deck that's going to shake up the field and take everybody by surprise. And I think those are probably your two best options. So for you, you know, I might say to you, well, I've been having a lot of sex success with White Weenie. You should try White Weenie out or Azurius Aggro or something like that. And hey, look, it's 55% win rate on the ladder. You might look at me and say, well, like, yeah, but if I'm terrible with the deck, I'm going to pilot it to a 45% win rate. I'm not going to get anywhere. So I'm going to find something that that best suits me. So given your experiences that you had over the last couple of days, do you have anything you want to share about the decks you've been trying? Or are you going to hold that kind of close to your vest? Yeah, I'll talk about it because I think by the time this comes out, the, the jig is sort of going to be up. Like the event is this Saturday. I do plan on streaming it, although I will obviously be streaming this one on a delay. Uh, hand hiders don't work for this sort of event because of the card draw animation. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to do it on a delay, but the, the prize is simply too big for me not to put it on a delay. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy to talk about the testing process and I may change my mind. Um, because I'll mention before I lock in my deck selection, we've got the fandom legends event tomorrow, uh, which if you guys haven't checked out before, you can find it at twitch.tv slash fandom. Uh, it's a standard tournament that's invitation only. A lot of great players and Ethan Sachs from Lords of Limited and myself do the casting for those events. So I'm going to get to see a lot of great players play a lot of great decks tomorrow and think about that. And then I've still got Friday where I've got basically eight-ish hours to grind out whatever I would like as my last bit of preparation for this. But so far, I've tried an Is It Burn deck? I guess is the best way to describe it, that included several ways to infinite combo with Ralzarek. And I liked that. I think it may actually be a very good deck uh, and one that I'd be interested in taking to a tournament. But the play lines took a lot more thought than I'm capable of. And I'm a, a tiny bit nervous about pulling off the infinite combo with the chess clock that will be in play for this tournament. So that is something we should actually probably talk about that because that's actually in the recent patch notes and we haven't really had the opportunity to talk about that. But um, we're looking at an MTGO style chess clock coming to arena, aren't we? Yes, I've got 30 minutes on my clock when we start. Now, before we carry on there, like how much of an impact do you think that's going to have on arena play in general when you're doing the ranked ladder or whatever? Now, this only applies to best of three, right? If I remember correctly. I think so. Yeah, so, like, do you see that having a major impact, or, or where do you see that, like, kind of, you know, when all whenever, when everything's on the table, where do you see that chess clock coming in uh, into play? I really want to see how it's implemented, and if we still have the time stops left over, I imagine you wouldn't at that point, but, like, are you supposed to wait 30 minutes for somebody to time out? Like, I'm not sure if this is in conjunction with that, or replacing it, or exactly how that works. Yeah, I think it would... I didn't really get the details on that either, but let's if you assume that the roping system is still there, then really what this is doing is this is just making sure that people don't get trapped in an infinite game where mm -hmm. somebody comes and doesn't bring a win con. Yeah. Right? And and the, the 30 minutes applies to the entire best of three. So for those that didn't play Magic Online, um, the clock ran when it was your priority only, didn't run during sideboarding or anything like that. And really what it let you do is you could take as much time as you wanted to think about your plays, but if you didn't take an action for like 10 minutes, then you automatically lost. But what it did is it, you know, people that were taking a lot longer to play or people that were playing combo, for example, it, the onus was on them to make sure that they played their turns quickly. And if they couldn't, then they were, you know, facing down the clock and facing down a loss potentially at the end of the day. So if you didn't bring a win con and your opponent knew that you didn't have a win con, 
you just burn your clock and then your opponent would get you at the end of the day because they'd win the best of three based on time. Um, you know, there were a very small number of instances where people might try to game the clock or game the system, particularly in limited, I would say, where, um, you know, the clock would start running down and I would start, or not me, but somebody would start running like uh, activations of different abilities and things like that to pass priority back and forth to try to like angle shoot or try to game the system so that it would use your clock up when you're really close to losing. I don't really see that happening in arena as much. Um, I don't think the potential is necessarily there, at least maybe not in this standard environment. That was more like a, a cube thing or something with a lot of activated abilities. But I think that the games will still go fast. And I think for 99.9% of the games, the chess clock is really not going to matter at all. I think where it's going to come into play are people that don't, where people don't bring win conditions. So they bring their, you know, Esper control deck and they play one Teferi or two Teferis or something like that and nothing else to win the game. Um, and then it'll also hopefully impact the people that take a million minutes per turn, right? Where their every action is super slow and they're not roping you, but they're just being very deliberate. Whereas sometimes those games could go for an hour if both sides were stubborn, you know, now that game will be over after 35 minutes, potentially if one side plays really quickly and the other side doesn't. So I think it's overall positive and i don't really see any negatives in here because it also allows combo players as long as they're not roping you know gives them an opportunity to have enough time to do that while still playing fairly within the rules of magic because I mean you look at paper magic you have timed matches right everything is timed matches with the exception of arena or kitchen table magic so i think this is a good direction for arena and i think it just kind of it's that next little baby step toward magic arena being the premier digital magic experience uh, for casual and competitive players alike. Yeah. And, I, you know, prepping for this, I'm thinking there should be less people playing Nexus shenanigans, right? Because if you know there's going to be a chess clock, now, if, if you're a Nexus master and you know how to pull this off, like people will scoop to you on the ladder when you resolve the second Nexus. I am not scooping to anybody playing Nexus in this event because you've got 30 minutes, brother. So, like, th there is absolutely no incentive for me to do that. I'll just chillax. So, e if you're a Nexus master and you understand how to do that quickly, like, you can pull that off. And there's still some issues there. Like, you have to set a stop in your instep to be able to, you know, use that mana before it untaps with Wilderness Reclamation. But, like, if you've got all that down and you're you're just the best at Nexus, by all means, play it. But I bet somebody who's medium at it or just looking to pick up a deck isn't even going to consider something like that because of the threat of being timed out. If they do and don't know about the timeouts and they're just casually kind of jumping into the event, then I, I think that that could be something that gets people. Um, I, I wish there was more time to play with it before a major event that's using it um, so that people could kind of be a little bit more prepared for it. Uh, but like I read the notes, it's going to be an effect for this. So I, 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 I'm ready for it. Nothing like testing in production uh, is coming from a from a software developer. There's nothing like just pushing it live and hoping everything works. But I mean, realistically, it really shouldn't impact all a lot of matches. Um, so I don't I don't really foresee any major issues. But it'll be interesting to see like what happens um, if two people are kind of racing a clock at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, if there's any shenanigans or anything like that, hopefully there won't be. Hopefully they they figure all of that out. But in the grand scheme of things, I think this is an overall positive change. Hopefully it doesn't hurt anybody in the course of this tournament. Um, and if it does, well, I guess we'll see what the, the fallout is of that. Agree. Well, back to where I was. I, yes. I played some with that Is It Combo deck and generally speaking liked what it was offering and bringing to the table. I was a little concerned about timing out and I was a little concerned because some of the play lines aren't very obvious. There's a moment in those games where you really have to dedicate yourself to, am I burning out my opponent or am I going to try to combo out my opponent? And recognizing where that spot was, uh, Anna May played this deck in one of the Fandom Legends events and she won the event with it because she was so good at recognizing when that corner had turned and the combo doesn't matter anymore. Let's just burn them to death. Um, so like, I wasn't quite sure that I was that level of like, okay, now's where I start pointing the fire bolts at face. Like, so that ruled that one out for me, but I do think it's still a strong deck. For those that aren't familiar with the deck, can you describe what the combo is? The RAL combo that, uh, that you mentioned? Cause I think it's not a very intuitive combo for those that don't, that weren't watching the fandom events, for example. 
Oh, sure. So Ral does a point of damage to a player or planeswalker every time you cast an instant or sorcery spell. So the the main combo in this particular deck was using um, expansion. You need two copies of expansion in Ral, and a lot of the deck was built around finding those two copies of expansion in the Ral. But once you have that, any spells on the stack, you copy it with expansion, then copy that expansion with a second expansion, and you now have infinite spells resolving because uh, you can just continue, use that copy to copy the first one and just keep copying them, and all of those trigger Ral to ping. Uh, you can also do this with a dual cast, I think is the card name. Uh, and you don't need anything else because you can just cast a dual cast and then an expansion. So there's plenty of those combos there. I was able to combo off on my opponent's turns in one case against Mono Red when they were casting a lethal lightning strike. I just needed them to cast anything so that I could cast my two copies of expansion and get them. So with literal lethal damage on the stack, I I won the game. So like the combo's neat. And then the the rest of her version of the deck was built around damage. Like she was using um, the the counter spell that burns you for two. It's the only place I've seen that spell actually be amazing because the two damage really mattered. Uh, and then it was just full of shocks and lightning strikes and cure the critics. And uh, of course, the other side of expansion is explosion. Uh, so like you could just burn them out with that. Right. So super interesting combo and really not that hard to, to go off with once you've figured out that play pattern, right? Like I think the counterintuitive part to some people was that you have to have a a spell on the stack before you can actually copy and then copy your copy your copy so i think that was that was super cool and i even saw a play i think where somebody cast their own spell and then copied it and then copied the copy where they weren't didn't have to rely on their opponent to do that i think right oh yeah uh so the like typically you'll do that at five mana and you'll be copying a shock initially Mm-hmm. Um, or an opt like the deck is playing four shocks and four ops. So usually you'll want to hold one of those. If you've got two expansions, a row, a shock and five mana, you win the game. You win the or, game or, a, you know, the, the opt or whatever. Right. And, and it seems like resilient against control at times too, because you could do it at any time on your turn or their turn, as long as they were tapped out. Um, and if you could time it right, you could also just play right through a counter spell too. So I think it was super cool. I, I really like that deck you know, probably hard to learn, I would say, and then hard to master, but you should be able to get the combo down with a, with a few reps under your belt. If that's a deck, somebody out there is interested in trying. Yeah. And I would say the combo wasn't actually that difficult to do for me. It was that, that honestly was really that turning point of Mm -hmm. when am I no longer focused on the combo and just focused on burning them out and being able to recognize, I think that's something she did very well. And something I was like, if I had a month to practice, I think I might bring that deck, but I don't. I've got a week. we got to narrow this down. Okay. So what was the next deck you looked at then? Uh, Mono Red. Uh, Mono Red is always a favorite when you're looking to spike a tournament. And I cannot recommend enough anybody who's interested in Mono Red, either for ladder play or, or, or for a specific tournament. There's some paper qualifiers going on this weekend. Martin Musa wrote a terrific article that was like all of the information about how to sideboard with this deck, what the threat density should be, which cards mattered. Uh, his list was basically playing three experimental frenzies, uh, two Chandras with an extra frenzy in the board. And his sideboard guide was basically like, you're going to try to to just aggro them out in game one and then almost try to value or combo them out in game two. And I, I mean, I had turns today where I had two uh, Flamekins in play, an Experimental Frenzy, and a Chandra, and it was ridiculous what you could do with that. You could burn through the entire deck, hit a land, no problem, play the first one, hit a second one, no big deal, get rid of it with Chandra, just keep going. Uh, and I, like, I was able to play something crazy like 11 cards in one turn, which was needless to say enough to, to destroy my opponent. So I, I think that's a very strong contender. Uh, it really seemed like a lot of people were prepared in their sideboards for way to, ways to deal with mono red. And it was also a little bit draw dependent. So like even those amazing combos, it's like if your opponent really knows what cards they need to pay attention to, uh, they can still break those up. Because like Experimental Frenzy without Steamkin is not nearly as exciting, although it works. Uh, but it is worth mentioning like there's a lot of cards that interact with enchantments that people are main decking. Uh, so like that, that's something that's going on too. Like, I, I think it's fair to say that like this format to an extent is revolving around Teferi Time Raveler. 
Yeah, he seems to be the boogeyman in, in this standard, right? He's he's so cheap, he's so efficient, um, he's really good in the control mirror, or just against control jacks in general, right? Like the Teferi tax, I say tax, but like the not being able to cast instants on your turn, or on your opponent's turn is kind of a big deal. Um, and then the value just of bouncing something and drawing a card is super relevant um, against a lot of decks in this format, right? Like it's relevant against White Weenie, against Mono Red, against pretty much everything except Control. And surprisingly, being able to Thought Erasure at sorcery speed after your opponent has had their draw step, or sorry, at instant speed after your opponent has had their draw step, there is a reason why they didn't make cards like Thought Season, Duress, Instant Speed. It sucks to have your your draw step uh, looked at and then and probably peeled away from you. So Teferi is, is definitely a boogeyman in this format. And, you know, bringing a deck that doesn't care about Teferi or cares about Teferi a lot less than the other ones probably puts you in a really good spot, especially with the prevalence of, you know, Jeskai Super Friends after the, the Magic Online Championship Series um, and just seeing the prevalence of the Super Friends deck in the latter. Well, see, that's the thing that actually got me a little uncomfortable with Mono Red. Is like I felt like it was doing really well, but between Baby Teferi, which can bounce your um, Experimental Frenzy, and then Big Daddy Teferi, who can tuck it or tuck your Chandra, they actually have answers to the stuff where you're trying to outvalue them, which means game one, you're, you're probably going to run them over, your Mono Red. But game two, they've got all of their Mono Red hate, and then they have answers naturally to the things that you're bringing in to try to outvalue them. And I, I felt like every time I played like a, a decent Esper control, a, a Esper especially, but even the Jeskai deck, it was difficult. And some of those walkers are ones that you really have to finish off, which means that they're kind of starting the game at like 25 life, which is a, a difficult spot for Mono Red. So like... There there were draws that I had in game two where, like, they're just not going to win. But short of a, a, that draw where they're not going to win, I felt like they actually had the tools they needed to beat me. And Tybalt mm-hmm. wasn't enough to shore it up. You even toss in those lands that uh, gain life when they cast Planeswalker spells? Yep. And you they're well beyond reach of a mono red deck, um, which which is kind of crazy. And, like, it's interesting because it... You can correct me if you're wrong on if I'm wrong on this one, but, like, I play mono white, and it feels like mono white... Well, it cares about your the opponent's life total. It doesn't care about the opponent's life total as much as Mono Red does. So Mono Red seems to be like, I can count to 20, maybe 22 if I have to, but then I'm running out of steam. Whereas like a deck like Mono White, which is an aggressive deck without the burn, I don't care if you're at 25 or 26 or 27 because my creatures are going to stick around. It's and all about board state. It's all about board state at that point, right? Whereas like Mono Red is about making sure that you use each spell efficiently mono white spells just kind of stick around and do their thing every turn right so that kind of feels like the difference between the two where like somebody might say well if mono red is in a bad position why is something like mono white not in a bad position and i think that's the that's the difference is that mono white has the ability to go wide and get big with the the counters mono red is very explosive and very good against decks that don't go past 20 life yeah and i I would say something like mono white is much more susceptible to a wrath than mono red is absolutely yep because like if I've hit you with my creatures a couple times and you kill them, I don't care. Uh, whereas mono white kind of gets wrecked. Now I, I I will say I don't think mono red aggro is in a bad position as a deck if you're looking to play it on the ladder. I do think that people are going to be ready for it in this tournament, and mm-hmm. I still think against the control decks, you're a huge favorite to win game one, and then they're a medium favorite to win the next two games. That means you just got to get lucky in one of those two games. So I I think this is a reasonable choice and there's still a possibility that I play it, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. Those planeswalkers are tough. Like I was watching you point, you know, burn spells at planeswalkers and pointing your creatures at planeswalkers. And it's like, at that point, they've almost got their own little two for ones there against the mono red deck. Because you think about it, right? If you, if I play an absorb and I counter a spell and gain three life or two life or whatever it is, you know, that puts the mono red deck so far behind. Well, a planeswalker is basically the same thing, right? I can I can bounce a creature and then you have to kill my Teferi, and I've I've gotten rid of your creature and then I've also gained three life or two life or whatever it is, right? And usually drawn um, a card on the exchange too. Exactly. So it's just like those incremental advantages against mono red seems seem really good. So 
yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't play mono red in that, but I can appreciate that people want to play it in the ladder because it's fast and it grinds really well. And it does have a, like, according to the meta that I'm looking at here, right, it does have a pretty decent win rate. It's just, right, like, would you take it to day one of a standard GP right now? If everybody knows it's coming, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, and that that's kind of where I'm at, but I expect there's still going to be a lot of it there because it's easy to put together. It's not terribly difficult to pilot. Now, it, it's still not, like, brainless and easy, because I feel like you're really only making about four decisions per game, but if you screw up one of them, you're going to die. Whereas, honestly, with that is it combo deck, I kind of just fumbled around and was still able to win. You could make a lot of decisions wrong, or they just kind of didn't matter. And I liked that about the deck, because it felt like it had some free wins packed in. Um, but I, I don't think it's as difficult to grasp the the fullness of what this deck can do. Uh, in a short period of time. So I, I still think it's a good choice. And like I said, there's a possibility I changed my mind and run it. Uh, this is kind of my second place deck currently. Okay. Do you have any other decks? Or you're going to just talk about your first place deck now. Uh, yeah, there was actually one more that I played with. I, I don't think you caught this while we were, were streaming it. Uh, but I still played a good bit with the Gruel Warriors deck. Um, mm-hmm. There have been some changes to this and some kind of adjustments. I've even seen some lists that are casting less Chain Whirlers. Um, just about everybody is maining Direfleet Daredevils now, which is a card that I think gets a lot of value. Um, the, the Snatchcaster Mage, if you will. Uh, Three Mana Domri has come in, and Sarkin is actually great. Uh, this seems to finally be the five drop of choice, which I thought it eventually would be, as people have kind of gotten tired of the Raise Boar. Uh, I've seen Chandra's in these lists. I've seen some that are still playing Collision and Colossus. Uh, which is nice. Uh, this deck still has Cinder Vines in the sideboard, which basically Nexus is never beating, uh, which I dig. And it, it, it's, it, it's got a lot going on for it, but it felt like if your opponent can kind of handle a 4-4 or if you have a bad draw with your mana, which it can still get, like it's really leaning on those unclaimed territories to be able to get the Growth Chamber Guardians going. And like... It, I almost felt like the Growth Chamber Guardians, like you don't want to pump them up early, but people remove them early and you don't get your value. Like when they work, they look great. But I felt like the deck was really just leaning on Phoenix. And there's a lot more answers to Phoenixes than there used to be. Uh, It's still got Sarkin going for it, but that's a five mana spell. So like if your best threats are four mana and five mana, and like what you're doing earlier is, is casting a Daredevil for no value or a Growth Chamber Guardian and crossing your fingers... Like, I wasn't super happy with this list. I don't, again, I don't think it would be a bad one to play. It's one that I did have a lot of experience with because I did play that to, that, that's how I got Mythic before. And the new set didn't really add that much other than the five drops are better, which is great. Uh, but it, it hasn't significantly changed how the deck works. Uh, but I, I, I got some reps in with this. I wasn't unhappy with it, but I was like, I think I can do better. Interesting. I've been running um, a mostly green decks so instead of the the Gru warriors deck it was green with some red for the spellbreakers collision colossus and then some stuff out of the sideboard i was having some success with it early on but I, I haven't really played it all that much recently since i've got the the new white weenie deck so um i think it it this my version definitely suffers from the not having enough value so i don't think it's entirely relevant but like did you did you see any mono green out there like this is a, basically as close to mono green as you can get without being mono green and I don't think I ran into anybody else playing anything similar. No, I haven't seen any mono green at all. Yeah, it seems pretty dead to me. So, which is unfortunate. Like I liked it, but um, I guess the planeswalker value is just just too high for the for that deck to handle. But green mono green really doesn't have a way to deal with planeswalkers at all, except for bashing it in the face. Yeah, which unfortunately there's just too many to to keep it kind of suppressed right now. Like yep. maybe you could try Stompy, but I'd be really scared doing that in a format where Baby Teferi is is one of the key cards. Oh, absolutely. Baby Teferi just shuts down everything. I guess your Nullhide Feroxes are interesting, but, like, I've seen a a bit of a decline on the Thought Erasure side of things, so even then, the Feroxes, you know, kind of lose a little bit of value, um, especially if you want to be casting Planeswalkers of your own. Now, have you seen any um, Nyssa ramp decks? Oh, yeah, I did see a couple of those. Man, there are some spicy versions of those going around. I mean, that felt like just weird gruel. Actually, you know what that felt like? It felt like they were trying to combo with the mono red deck, but it was just too easy to disrupt. Because it like those decks all, need to start with turn one elf, turn two elf, you know, turn three Nissa kill you. And if they get that draw and you can't interact with it, they're going to win that game. 
but there's so many ways to interact with it. Like everybody's playing shocks. The deck's incredibly weak to uh, chain whirler. Like if you're not playing shocks or, or some sort of pinpoint removal, you're playing counter spells. Just be like, whatever, ramp out your Nissa. I'll just counter it. Uh, and then we'll clean up your, your elves afterwards and, and probably kill you. So like I, I, I saw it have some nut draws, but they had to, it kind of has to have a good draw versus my medium to bad one for it to do its thing. Uh, when it did, mm-hmm. it was very impressive. And the deck gets to play Krasis, uh, which, I mean, is is not quite the format-defining card it was before, but is still really good. It's, the, the Krasis is really scary. And, uh, you know, it, it just seems like maybe the, the Reclamation decks seem to be going down in popularity, and maybe all those people just picked up Nisses instead. Um, but, yeah, like, I've seen some cool things out of it, but, like, aside from that, it doesn't seem to be that prevalent in the meta. I think the only other deck that I'm interested in, I'm, and I, I think I lack the wild cards for it, but I did see a very neat, and I sent you the link to this one. Um, it was posted on Reddit. It was a very high win rate. Somebody went from silver to mythic uh, with Andrew Mangucci's uh, Bant kind of mid-range deck. It runs a bunch of like Frilled Mystics and Krasises and Aketras and Lyra Dawnbringers and things like that. And it just looked like a deck like, chock full of value. So I think if I had the wild cards, I'd probably give that a try. But it looks like it looks like a difficult deck to to pilot because it looks like it has a lot of different decisions and things like that. Like where what are you doing with this mid range deck, and, and at what particular time are you doing it? Um, but for anybody interested in there, maybe you have the the Bant wild card or the uh, the Bant lands. Um, you know, go check it out. I, it was posted on Reddit, uh, one of the the Magic Arena subreddits, I think, and it was Andrew Mangucci's list from i don't remember what tournament he ran it in but it was a really neat looking deck um i know it's not necessarily your thing but it's certainly one that caught my eye and i'm curious to see if people start picking it up on the ladder yeah we've actually seen some things similar to this in a couple of the fandom legends events uh it was because it it, the deck is basically uh, all of the versions of it are like all creatures uh and most of them are playing a bunch of vivians so giving all of your creatures flash many of which have enter the battlefield abilities like the deck plays so completely different when you have a Vivian in play versus when you don't. Um, for me, looking at the list, like I, I wasn't thrilled about Frilled Mystic. I, I just didn't super dig it. And I know some people love that card and some people hate it. Like for me, I've, I, I think if you understand that sometimes you're just going to have to flash this in for pressure. And sometimes you're just going to have to flash this in and trade with a 2-2 because that's what the board state is requiring. Like if your opponent can read you for a Frilled Mystic and can get ever so slightly ahead, I've watched people choke on them and lose the game because they were just dying to get some value out of it and weren't able to. Um, but th- that that aside, there's a lot of value to be had in Bant Colors right now. Uh, and I expect I will be bumping into some of these on Saturday. There's definitely a, an art to playing the, the Frilled Mystic deck, um, and it's nothing similar to what you see in Limited at all. So I was playing a Frilled Mystic deck in the, before the last uh, before War of the Spark came out, and my favorite thing to do was to just get a little bit ahead, and then your opponent can never cast anything if they read you for a Frilled Mystic, right? Yeah. Uh, or, the, or and you're always going to get like their second best spell, but there was a lot of games where you would just build a board you know, trade card for card or whatever, but then now I have, like, five powers of things on my side of the battlefield and frilled mystic mana, and it doesn't matter what you play because I'm going to counter it and I'm going to win the game next turn because I now hit you for 10 or 8 or whatever it is, and the game is over. And there were a lot of game states against control where they couldn't do anything because if they try to wipe my board, I frilled mystic and now I have extra power in play, right? Or... You know, there's just a lot of those game states around that Frilled Mystic, but you're right. I absolutely choke myself on Frilled Mystic, and I think that is a a skill, and I think rewards the good players from like reading your opponent's hands and reading the board state and deciding what cards to counter or what two twos to flash in and kill. Um, I think the upside of the Frilled Mystic in this format, especially, um, I guess this is probably more on the on the play rather than the draw, but is being able to counter a Planeswalker and or pressure a Planeswalker that's already in play because you can flash this in. And one of the key things, I think, with this is the Vivian being able to flash things in at instant speed. Now, if your opponent reads you for a a Frilled Mystic, with a Vivian in play, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a Frilled Mystic. I could be flashing in a Shalai or a Lyra Dawnbringer. Like, there's so many other things I could be doing with that mana that now, even if I do have a Frilled Mystic, you know, it gets to the point where my opponent 
almost has to play into it because there could be something better in my hand that I'm going to flash out. So I think I think that line really interests me with the Frilled Mystic and especially in this deck. Um, and I'm definitely interested in, I'm going to keep it on my radar. I'm going to, you know, see if I can catch some people playing it on stream and just see how the deck plays out. Because I, I think this one is is catching my interest if I can put together the, the rare wild cards for it. Agree, agree. I, I don't think this is a bad deck. I do think it's worth referencing. Like, sure, Andrea Manguchi can, you know, crush face with this deck. You're going to need a lot of reps before you can do as good as he can with it. Mm-hmm. All right, so then big drum roll here. What did you end up with? Have you have you finalized your decision as of right now, even though it might change tomorrow? Yeah, I'd say I'm 80% locked in for Mono Blue Tempo. Now that blows my mind. And it blows my mind because I haven't seen Mono Blue Tempo in like three months. Yep. So we talked about it on your stream today. And, you know, I like to play devil's advocate, right? I like to disagree. I like to, to be contrarian a lot of the time. Um the the original thought was why isn't mono blue on the ladder why aren't people playing it and we came up with some reasons like you know baby teferi really hurts it it seems like uh, a lot of the three mana planeswalkers uh really hurt it so narset we said teferi already uh dovin can have uh you know kind of at least slow it down a bit right um but then I, i got to thinking about it and after i closed the stream you know we talked about this earlier in the the white weenie versus mono red comparison where like mono red you know is looking to to get to 20 exactly and then you know win the game there whereas white weenie is building a board presence well mono blue can build a board presence out of the box mono blue also has the advantage of switching to a more controlly version if, if it has to especially if it's facing down a bunch of planeswalkers you can side in a bunch of you know, counter spells or an extra spell pierce or something like that, right? Like you can bring in the gates. Or you can main you can... deck four spell or, pierces. Or you can main deck four spell pierces. Not that so, I know anybody who is if you're getting ready for this tournament. I'm just saying someone could. Of course. So it's interesting to me because I was playing Mono Blue way back and I remember playing it as a control deck in a lot of matchups where it's just like, I'm going to stick a threat and then I'm going to defend that threat the whole time. It's just in this case, instead of defending the threat against removal and board wipes and things like that, you're defending yourself, you're defending the board state against Planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, it seems like you probably have game in a lot of matchups. So my plan when I fired up the stream today was I'm going to play Mono Red, and I played through it and then got a lot of losses to Planeswalkers. And I was like, I want to try Mono Blue. And everybody's like, Mono Blue can't beat Teferi. Mono Blue can't beat Teferi. Mono Blue can't beat Teferi. And I'm like, who cares about three mana spells? The deck is loaded with spell pierces and negates and wizard's retorts. Let me just try it and see what happens. And what happens is I won a bunch of games. Uh, Even like playing poorly against some of the Planeswalkers where I made some mistakes, I was still able to beat them. And that led me to thinking maybe I'm onto something here. Now, when I end all of my streams, I look for somebody on my follow list to host. And I saw Autumn Lily was hosting, or was was streaming, and I was like, oh, let's host them. I haven't done that before. So I sent the host over there and tuned in for a minute. Turns out they were playing Mono Blue Tempo, uh, which they had brought to the MPL League and done well with. And I'd like to share with you a screen cap that they posted on Twitter. So opponent has six lands. Oath of Kaya in play is at 17, two cards in hand. A Baby Teferi, a Narset, and a Dovin all on one. Autumn has six lands, a Tempest Gen in hand that they know about uh, from a Thought Eraser earlier. They won that game. Now, I'm not saying I would win that game. I'm not Autumn. But I'm saying the deck has the potential to do that. Um, And I didn't find the three mana Planeswalkers to be nearly as scary as I thought they would be. Uh, again, based based on Spell Pierce. So the, the big technology that has come in is we're playing Spell Pierce, uh, we're playing Quench, and we're playing the Gates main deck. So we've actually switched to a counter-heavier version of this deck. Um, some people are taking out cards like Miscloaked Herald. Uh, some people have even been taking out, um, bringing in like Night Veil Sprites. Um, for additional value. I don't feel like you necessarily need to do that. My version's not going to have that. There's some people playing more dive downs, but I've decided to, to kind of cut the dive downs and go for a counter heavier package. But there's a lot of room for innovation in this archetype that, again, is a year old. But like Terry's still good. Storm Tamer's still good. Trickster's still good. These are all wizards. 
Uh, I had a line today where I bounced a dragon token from Sarkin and then killed Sarkin with a bunch of one toughness things because I've still got exclusion mage in the sideboard. And I brought it in exactly for that and it worked like a charm. So I, I feel like you've got a toolbox here in mono blue that can do a lot of things. Um, I've got, I, I think I'd mentioned this before that, yeah, this list I'm looking at now isn't even playing the Tempest Gen and that's crazy to me. But like mono red has a really hard time with Tempest Gen. And the version I've been playing is 19 lands with a 20th in the board and two Kafnets. Because like mono red can basically never get through Kafnet. If you could just stick one of those, you're going to win that game. Uh, so I, I feel like this is a really good list. It's got some potential. And the other like last piece for me, but big advantage for me that this deck has, is that this is what I was playing when I was trying to grind into the Mythic Invitational. I have probably 500 games of Mono Blue Tempo under my belt. Now, it's not against the same decks, but I definitely understand what my deck is trying to do. And after playing Standard all week, I feel like I understand what cards matter from the opposing decks, so I know which ones that I need to counter. Yeah, and I think it's really, like, you really can't understate the importance of knowing your deck and knowing the matchups, right? Like, I don't know, you, you take you take two equally skilled pilots but you strip all the knowledge of the of the metagame or the matchup away from one of those players and you put them at a serious disadvantage it's like cutting off one of their hands so i think being experienced enough with the deck to know its weaknesses and know its strengths and to be able to recognize when you're shifting roles in a matchup or when you've turned the corner right when you can go for it when you can't go for it will steal you a lot of wins that you know, maybe you had no business winning or that, you know, you're a 50-50 matchup and now you've pushed that matchup 60-40 in your favor or 75-25 in your favor strictly because you have the rep. So I think whatever you decide, like when there's the best deck in the format, we're not saying that there's a deck that's like oppressive. We're not saying that there's a deck that's like 70% to win every match. It's just down because everybody would be playing that. It's really more like 55-45 is the matchup, is the best matchup you're going to get in a given meta on MTG Arena, right? You'll be 55% to win with a white weenie deck against the field. That's what you're looking at. So you're going to have to push your edge with skill and knowledge. And if you take a deck that's, let's say, Mono Blue's 52%, right? You know, at the end of the day, you're still going to have a very similar win rate as if you were playing the best deck in the format. Actually, you probably have a better win rate if you're playing the, the quote, best deck in the format with less experience and that's strictly because of the knowledge how to pilot it and the knowledge what to sideboard sideboarding is gonna be huge if you think about it more than half of your games are post sideboard yeah right so knowing how to sideboard going to be huge in this format as well and i think if you can catch a lot of limited players with their pants down <laughs> right you catch a lot of people that qualified there through limited and maybe they didn't get a lot of reps in in standard um, or best of best of one ladder play well, or best of one ladder play, people that don't have that experience sideboarding, um, you could probably put yourself in an advantage and, you know, put one or two wins on the scoreboard strictly from experience and yeah. not have anything to do with deck choice or anything like that. Not to mention, I, I suspect everybody is going to have a sideboard plan for mono red, mono white, Esper control, Esper mid range, uh, and Bant and Jeskai Walkers. And I think nobody is going to expect to see Mono Blue Tempo make a return. Because, like, I, I was playing it today, and I would play my turn one Siren Storm Taver, and all of a sudden see the card glowing as people moused over it to read it. I was like, welcome to Arena. You probably haven't seen this guy in a while, but he's still around. Uh, so make sure you understand what it does. And really, what was the worst matchup in the past for Mono Blue? It was really like the, the Gruel decks that were playing Collision Colossus. Right, I mean, that was one of the really bad matchups. I thought with the with the the crawl harpooners too. Right, yeah, and you just don't see a lot of crawl harpooner collision colossus based decks anymore. Yeah, so like you might just completely like duck all your bad matchups, with the expect exception of maybe super friends might be like a closer matchup than what we're giving it credit. But like, if you can if you can dodge all those previously bad matchups, then you know. Maybe you can just spike this thing with a mono blue deck and I will eat my hat. Um, but I think that, you know, but the, the big thing I mentioned, plays. like you're right. Gruel Warriors was the worst one. And when I played Gruel Warriors, we had four Crawl Harpooners in the main deck and four Collision Colossus. 
and now the the entry for the meta deck version of this is the the harpooners have come out for dire fleet daredevils and they're playing one collision colossus so like the cards that made that a difficult matchup for me well, I guess Chain Whirler's still there. So, like, Whirly Boy's still a problem. But, like, we've just taken out seven cards that were just basically crushing me and replaced them with cards I don't care about. So I've still got to worry about the, the Chain Whirler, but I can just counter the Chain Whirler. That's going to be fine. There's only, like, five cards I care about now instead of 12. Yeah, and when you have so, like, a significantly fewer amount of cards that you care about, like, it just makes your life so much easier. You can just play like automatic magic for a lot of the a lot of the time and just coast to wins, hopefully, as opposed to having to like agonize over every single decision. Yeah, so I, I I think this is actually a reasonable choice for me for this weekend. Again, just because I have so much time invested already with the deck, uh, and then I don't think anybody's going to be prepped for it, and it does legitimately seem to have game against those planeswalker decks. Yeah. And I was relieved to see Autumn agree. I was like, it was not, I know they're a champion of the deck, right? But like, I was relieved to see they're still playing this and still believe this deck has legs. So it's like, okay, cool. Let, let, let's do it. Let's not quite final answer, but pretty darn close. I need to see something amazing tomorrow in the Fandom Legends event. And then on top of it, probably have an awful day in testing on Friday for me to change my mind. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they played it in the MPL too, if I remember correctly. So, um... Yep, that's where I got my starter list from. Yeah, well, perfect. I mean, MPL meta will be different than this meta, but I mean, with a couple of tweaks, like you said, I'd be interested to see how you shake out here. So good luck to you, sir. Thank you very much. I, I hope you spike the thing, but not enough that you have to quit the podcast. Because if you become a, a, a magic millionaire and you give up on me, I, I don't know if I can find somebody to fill your shoes. That's probably the first thing I would do is just be like, yeah, I'm not hanging out with Dave. You idiot. Of course, if I make it big, of course I'm staying with the podcast. All right. Well, just promise then you won't replace me with somebody you can afford. Well. Somebody new. Yeah. You can pay a lot of money and like fancy podcast editor and like, just just don't leave me, Travis, please. I need I don't, this. I don't actually know how to edit a podcast. Those who have listened to the podcast that me and Tommy did, uh, and the, even the one that me and Ethan did, have noticed the difference in editing between the two of us. So I, I think your job is secure. Should I get some dogs barking in the background here, make you feel a little better? Yeah, that'll help. <laughs> All right, awesome. I'll, I'll make sure I splice those in at the end of the day here. So, well, like I said, good luck to you, sir. Um, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult for anybody to win eight games in a row, period. Um, you just think of the math behind it. I'm going to encourage you to not think of the math behind it and just go out there and play your game. But, um, you know, either way, uh, impressive that, you know, you've, you've put this together. You, you hit the mythic, double mythic, triple mythic even. Um, and if you can spike seven or eight wins, I'll look forward to seeing you on day two and hopefully you can get there. That's the plan. That's the plan. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up this week. So, Travis, where can they catch you? Uh, testing your mono blue, potentially freaking out because the deck sucks at the last minute. Where can they catch you doing that on stream this week? Yeah, that should be fun. Uh, I'll be at twitch.tv slash simulan. You can find me on Twitter under the same. All right, and you can catch me at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. Now, with the name change, we are still technically men for moto on Twitter. I have yet to change that. When I do, I will let you know what that new handle is. And same with the Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash menformoto temporarily, and we'll let you know when that changes to some version of Arena Athletes, hopefully sometime in the near future. Thanks to Face to Face Games for the support and the host. They particularly supported us with our name change, so we look forward to, uh, to adjusting our branding there as well. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.